Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from our website at BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Coming up later in the show, the business case for going all in when it comes to corporate sustainability. And coming up next, me and co-host Tyler Orton will find out why Collier's North America is pulling from the playbooks of professional sports teams to help with commercial real estate recruitment. Our next guest has led a team that's taken from the playbooks of sports teams to try and steal recruiting tactics from scouts in Canada and apply it to a totally different industry. And that would be commercial real estate. With us in studio today is Carrie Frazier. She's vice president of people services for Colliers North America. And with us today to talk about some of the lessons learned from how sports teams recruit talent and how that can be applied to real estate. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Where did this idea come from? Because it seems like two totally different worlds. Yeah, very different. So, I don't know, three or four years ago, our Canadian CEO, David Bowden, he read, he read a case study on Manchester United, one of the most successful sports franchises in the world. And the case study got into how they recruit and scout, how they train people within their farm team. Farm teams are, are, are reg, you know, normal thing within sports teams. It's what I would play on if I was ever given the opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. (laughs) And then move them into the premiership team. And so it was his idea to think, how can we take something that's so successful and bring it into the corporate world, knowing that we're at a place right now in our industry to tap into different talent pool and potentially just look at a different way and be different and innovative. Yeah. Do you sort of that analogy, do there exist farm teams in the corporate world? Would that be, say, internships, apprenticeships, that sort of track? What would be similar? Again, I think I would be on the farm team of the corporate <laughs> world. Yeah. I, I, there's some similarities to internships, but I believe what the big difference is, is that what we're doing is we're we're really trying to create this premiership team, which is our future pipeline of top talent. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we're spending a lot of time scouting, looking out for what that talent is. And so that's the difference between recruiting and scouting. There's some overlap, but scouting is they're looking for your A players, maybe hopefully phenoms that we can work with. And that takes a lot more research. So you're you're finding potential people, you're spending time researching them, you're networking, even before you decide if we want to talk to them. So there's a lot more investment up front. Then once we decide we even want to talk to them, then we're, then we're spending a lot of time having conversations to decide if we want to bring them into Colliers. And so then we have a year-long program that we developed, which is our farm team. Because once you find those people, you want to pl- have a place for them to go. So I'm just curious because you kind of, to a certain degree, on the outside looking in, trying to make your best guess before you reach out. It's like, how, how do you guys actually make sure that you're making the right decisions here? Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. I don't think we've perfected it yet, um, but we have a very good idea. Look, we're very successful. We have a lot of successful sales advisors in our business already. So we can look at those people and what it takes, what are the what are the things that have made them A players or phenoms, metrics. 
and then apply it and start what are their attributes and then start to look at what those attributes are and some of it's gut also well that brings me <laughs> to maybe my next question because a lot of times you want the right cultural fit within you know whoever you scoop up you want somebody who's going to fit in well Absolutely. with the team is that a bit of a challenge as well just trying to figure that out because as you say you kind of have to go with your gut at a certain point yeah it it can be a challenge, but we're very clear on what's a cultural fit for Colliers. So that's, that is the key thing is knowing what works with Colliers and what doesn't. It's not just about finding any talent or any top talents. It's top talent that's going to fit within Colliers. And so we've spent a lot of time figuring out what that is. We did focus groups in 10 markets across North America with our sales advisors to understand what it is that brought them here, what keeps them here, and really honed in what that cultural fit is. So we're so we're looking for that also. You mentioned sort of what led to the idea of looking to sports teams for some of these ideas, but why change up recruitment and scouting strategies to begin with? Yeah, so traditionally in the whole industry, the way that we were recruiting uh, specifically for sales advisors was taking from competitors, which is still important, right? And if you look at sports teams, you know, there are times when you're buying top talent, mm -hmm. but you can only do so much of that. It is, it's very, um, it can be a long courtship. It can be very expensive and you don't always get a cultural fit because there can be quite embedded in that, in that culture. So our plan is to double in size every five years. There's literally not enough of that talent pool. And we, all the competitors were going after the same people. So we felt there was a real opportunity to target some different candidate streams. So what our scouts are targeting is B, what we call B2B candidates. So people that are experienced professionals in other industries, maybe they're a sales or business development person with another company, another industry that would want to potentially come work with us. And they just haven't considered it before or university. And we weren't tapping into that, that candidate pool. So that's really what our scouts are spending time with. And then those people come into our farm team. Yeah. So I have to believe it goes beyond just sales metrics that this stuff that you guys are looking for. Yes. Maybe I'm putting you a little bit on the spot, but do you guys have an eye towards diversity as well within the ranks? Yeah. Great question. That is also one of the challenges with, only going after the competitive hire because it lacks diversity and, and all types of diversity. I don't mean just the traditional. It's also diversity of thought. Yeah. Um, and so what this has allowed us is to open up in a very organic way. We've started to create a more diverse workforce within Colliers. We're already seeing it. And having our, uh, our uh, people now reflect more of our clients, mm. which is what they're looking for. Well, I think it's going to get better client response as well. If, you know, Absolutely. And I think diversity of thought is like a very good point that you're bringing up. And I think a lot of, does it surprise you how long it's taken a lot of companies to kind of like jump on board with that uh, whole idea there? Yeah, it does surprise me. I Look, I don't know what, what all other companies are doing, but I, I do know that within our industry, we're, we're the ones first going, doing this. Yeah. So, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned before we started recording, you worked with the Whitecaps, the Canadians, some local teams to try and see how they do this. 
obviously they're not going to be looking to say the university sector for their talent, right? It's still within the sporting world, but is there any sort of case study in terms of how they try and bring in diversity in a different sense within constraints that they have to meet? You know what? That's not something that I I don't know the answer to that. It wasn't something that we had asked them. Uh, It's a great question. Uh, We were really focusing on how is it that they're what's working for them and how mm-hmm. can we bring it into the corporate world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you're piloting, piloting the program in Canada, still fairly new, but what has some of the impact been to date? Yeah. So we brought on and developed our scouting team a year ago. So we have three scouts. So we have one that's specifically for university scouting and then two that's going after the B2B and some of the junior competitive um, hires. And so that was a year ago. Within a year, they've brought on, I think, 50, 50, 55 people. And they have a pipeline of people that they're considering of about 1,200. So I picture the life of a, a sports scout. You're at like small towns sitting in crummy <laughs> arenas, you know, trying to take meticulous notes. How does it work day to day, though? Because with the three scouts, I'm assuming a lot of it can be done remotely. And then you kind of have to go in for going for the kill, so to speak. But I mean, tell us maybe how it works just on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, the last year, they have spent a lot of time becoming ex- experts in the business because our scouts, they were they come from the recruiting world. So our CEO, for instance, spent spends an hour, hour and a half with them every week. He wants them to know as much about the business as he does and as much as our leaders does so they can speak to it when they're talking to candidates and know what to look for. They're in sales meetings. They've attended client pitches. They're watching people in action. uh, They're spending time with our leaders. So that's been a good portion of their time. Um, And then it's probably a little bit more interesting in the scouting world and the corporate world. They're, they are attending networking events and conferences and meeting people. They're not in small towns. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, in the corporate world, the boardrooms yeah. and a city conference halls, whatever it may be. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. How, how would this differ from, say, hiring a, a headhunting firm? Or is it simply sort of like having your own headhunting firm within the organization? There's some similarities, but a headhunting firm is interested in filling a position. And this is so much more than that. This is about building our pipeline of top talent. And that takes a lot more knowledge and investment in our in our business and in our company, uh, where a headhunter is strictly more focused on just filling the role. Great. Well, Carrie, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us with your insights into really what's been a a very interesting initiative. Thank you so much. That's Carrie Frazier. She's Vice President of People Services for Colliers North America. Coming up next, me and co-host Kirk LaPointe will speak to David Grayson, the author of a new book that argues why businesses need to go all in when it comes to corporate sustainability. This week, Vancouver plays host to Sustainable Brands 2018. The conference explores how brands can help make the world a more sustainable place. And our next guest has co-authored a book that examines how some of the world's biggest companies are doing just that and doing it through high-impact corporate sustainability. David Grayson is Emeritus Professor of Corporate Responsibility at the Cranfield School of Management in the UK. His book is titled All In, The Future of Business Leadership, and it 
it officially launches Tuesday at Sustainable Brands. He joins us now, though, in Vancouver for a bit of a preview. Good to have you on the show. Thank you very much for having me. What would you say the table stakes are now? What does all in really involve when we're talking about sustainability? So the the, the book, which I've, I've written with, with two Canadians, um, Chris Coulter and Mark Lee, is all about the fact that no longer can businesses be tentative or half-hearted in their commitment to being a sustainable business. They have to go all in. And we describe in, in the book, based on interviews with many top business leaders across the world, entrepreneurs in some of the, the fast emerging markets and so on, what we think are the critical attributes that a business needs if it is going to indeed go all so in. So what are the characteristics then of the future business as opposed to the characteristics of the present and past one? So we think there are five critical things. It's about having a purpose, which is a North Star, a really authentic statement about how the business creates value for itself and for society in terms of having positive impact. We think it's about having a comprehensive plan which covers the totality of the business in terms of its impacts and how it's minimizing negative impacts, maximizing the positive social and environmental and economic impacts. It's about having a culture which is really sustainable, which is about being innovative and entrepreneurial and encouraging employee-led innovation and being open to new ideas from outside the organization as well as from within and about being transparent and responsible. It's then having both a skill and a will to collaborate extensively with a whole range of other businesses, sometimes with fierce competitors, as well as with NGOs or social enterprises. And the final attribute, we think, is being willing to speak out and speak up to be advocates, Hmm. not just for short-term self-interests of the business, but for the long-term interests of society, social justice, sustainable development, and therefore the the long-term interests of the business. In your examination of business, where would you say businesses are most likely to fail among these five attributes? So that's a great question. I think the the thing that we have found, and, and, and the basis for our book has been 20 years worth of annual surveys called the GlobeScan Sustainability Leaders Survey. And each year for 20 years, that survey has asked experts in sustainability in businesses, in academia, in NGOs, as well as in government agencies and the media, who they think are the sustainable companies, the most sustainable companies across the world. And what you could do in the early years of that survey was focus on one or two of those attributes. So perhaps to start to really think about what is a comprehensive plan that we have for this business. And you could become really good at that, but not necessarily focusing on all of the five attributes. We think the really important distinction going forward is that you need to really work hard on all of those five attributes because they're so interlinking, actually. As a result, how would you say the companies that are on that sustainable list, how has the makeup changed over the last two decades? So it began with companies like 3M and, and, and Dow and DuPont. At the turn of the millennium, it included companies like, like Shell and, and BP when they broke away from the, the pack in terms of, of, of their commitments around uh, recognizing climate change and so on. And then as companies like GE and Walmart started to develop comprehensive sustainability plans, they started to, to feature in the list. But for the last few years, it's been companies like Unilever and Ikea and Patagonia and just one company that's been in the list for all 20 years and that's the carpet 
tiling business um, interface oh, yeah. with their huge commitments <laughs> around um, scaling amount uh, sustainability. That's a sleeper of a big company. Um, is there a tension still in, uh, in the desire to be competitive, to be number one in your field, and yet this, uh, this fifth attribute you mentioned, the advocacy attribute, where you're trying to be a representative for the greater good of your sector, for instance. So, uh, again, a, a good and important question. And we argued and debated for a long time about what exactly we understand by advocacy, because people like the Harvard Business Review and The Economist newspaper have talked about CEO activism and CEO um, um, and, and corporate activism becoming more important in, 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 in the world. And, and we, in the end, chose the word advocacy, not just for semantic reasons, but because we, we felt that advocacy was something that was more coherent and consistent, and it was something that was much more integrated with what the business stands for mm. and with its work and, and with its work plan and with its collaborations and, 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 and so on. But it has to be about having a kind of long-term perspective. And everything that, that we're talking about in All In is predicated on the idea that we are looking at how you give yourself as a business the very best chance of being able to continue into the indefinite future. So this is not about this quarter's sales forecast or this quarter's yeah. profit forecast. This is about giving yourself the very best chance of continuing into the ind indefinite future. From your research, what are some of the conversations happening with shareholders who maybe care very much about what the bottom line is going to say at the end of a quarter? So I think one of the the, the, the biggest institutional investors in in, in the world, uh, Larry Fink and, and and BlackRock, has been producing now for several years really significant annual letters to the CEOs of the companies in which BlackRock invest. And if you haven't read it, I would strongly rec recommend reading the 2018 Larry Fink letter. It's just three short pages, and it's very clear in there what the world's biggest institutional investor is now expecting of businesses. And it's very clear they're expecting businesses to have purpose and to address these issues around sustainability in a way that, that businesses perhaps haven't been expected to do in, in, in the past. That doesn't mean, by the way, that they're not interested in the profits, because of course they want profits, but they want to optimize profits, I think, for the long term. And I think that is the really important distinction, perhaps, with some of the things in the past. There must be a presumption that, uh, that all of this is part of a virtuous circle, that all of your attributes somehow contribute uh, to a longevity, and that long longevity, of course, provides shareholder value at all times. It, in your examination, again, of business, uh, David, can you say that early-stage businesses find themselves with all of these attributes at hand, or do they they almost have to go through a couple of convulsions and changeover and takeovers and parting of ways in order to get to that promised land. And by the way, I don't think it's a promised land in the sense that the job is ever finished because quite clearly things will continue to to develop and, and, and evolve because we are living, as we say in the book, in such a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, and complex, and ambiguous, and and so it, it, it you have to be forever on your guard and and and, and scanning horizons and, and and so on. We do think that perhaps some of the 
the more interesting future examples of what we're talking about in terms of businesses going all in will be amongst some really new startup businesses that are choosing from very early stage, if not actually before they've properly set up, to become a benefit corporation, even to be certified as a B Corp. And whilst it's a tiny fraction of all of the world's businesses that are, are B Corp certified so far, it's a very interesting example of how some entrepreneurs are taking a very holistic view about how they create value, how they create value for themselves and their fellow owners, as well as how they create value for society. When it comes to businesses that maybe haven't found themselves on a sustainable list, but are now looking at adopting these five characteristics that you speak of, do they adopt them all at once and go all in right away with jumping two feet straight ahead? Or can they approach it one through five, whatever it may be? What's sort of the proven strategy? So I think that we're still really experimenting and, and trying to understand how each company goes on, on its journey. So I certainly wouldn't be, be sitting here in, in, in Vancouver and saying we have all of the answers in terms of is there a particular order that works for one company or one sector rather than another? I think what it does require is for a business really to sit down and very carefully analyze, so where are we today, honestly? Do we really have a purpose that inspires our employees, that is a basis for building some great collaborations with other businesses? Um, do we have a comprehensive plan which is based on the, the hard science, for example, in terms of, of things like our carbon reduction strategies and, and so on? And so doing a, a gap analysis and for the board and the senior management team in particular to do some really serious debating about do we have the mindset, do we have the skill and the will to go through what will be the most fundamental change management exercise you could possibly do as a business. This is not going to be for the faint-hearted. Yeah. What you're talking about there is the basis of my next question, which is uh, you talk about an experimentation that's still taking place in, in the corporate sector in a lot of regards. How much of a pushback remains from companies that say, you know, David, nice idea, but this will make us soft. This will, this will take the edge off us. This will not make us perform optimally. So I think the reality now for, for a number of years is things that some people have thought of as being soft, like the environment or human rights or diversity, have suddenly become very hard for business, mm -hmm. very hard to manage, hard to ignore, and especially hard if you get them wrong. You know? Ask Harvey Weinstein. Mm -hmm. Um, or, or, or ask the leadership of Odebrecht, mm. who, are, who are now facing um, long prison sentences in a number of cases for um, bribery and corruption across South and Central America, whatever. So I don't think that what we're writing about, Chris and Mark and I and All In, is at all about being soft. This is about very tough decisions that, that business has to make for its uh, future survival and, and, and hopefully future thriving. But are there still the outliers, the people that are still saying, you know, listen, I'm sorry, I, my, my business, I run it in this particular way. I do not want these other elements uh, in a way interfering 
with my own vision for my company. So do you still think there's a fair amount of pushback in industry? I think that there is. But of course, nobody is is an island. Okay? Famous 17th century poet, John Donne, mm-hmm. no man is an island, sufficient unto himself. And, 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 and so that is the case with business. And even if you as an entrepreneur say, nothing to do with me, Gov. In fact, some of your employees or some of your big business customers or some of, 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 of your key suppliers may, may take a different view. So unless you're operating in a, um, a pretty hermetically sealed in, environment, I just don't think you can any longer ignore lots of these issues. How well you manage them, that's a different question. And that's why we've written the book and why we're trying to socialize now the ideas of Great. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about some of these ideas. Where can the book be found once it launches? So it's available on on Amazon. And if I'm allowed to to mention commercial sites, um, so obviously it, it's, it's, it's now available to order either an ebook or or in paperback version. We've never talked about Amazon on this program. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're hermetically sealed you here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. David, thanks again for joining us. Thank you very much. That's David Grayson, Emeritus Professor of Corporate Responsibility at the Cranfield School of Management and co-author of the book, All in the Future of Business Leadership. That's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV today. Subscribe and find past episodes. And we also get a commercial plug in here too on iTunes, Stitcher, and of course at our website, BIV.com. We'll be back tomorrow. 